0: God's plan is to fill you to overflowing with his abundant joy. But the devil's plan is to do everything in his power to rob you of that joy. So the question is, what can you do to get with God's plan rather than the devil's? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're going to chat about that very thing, how to avoid allowing your enemy, the devil, to rob you of your joy. And do stay tuned, because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you about the powerful prayer that could be coming your way to help you through whatever you happen to be dealing with in your life, just at the moment. In this world, the basic law of the jungle is that you have to work hard for everything you want. You work at it, you get it. It's a performance-oriented world. Okay, every now and then, someone may win the lottery and get something for nothing, But that's pretty rare. It's the exception rather than the rule. In my lifetime, I've only known one couple who has won a big prize in the lottery. The rest have all had to work hard for whatever they have. My hunch is you, like me, are one of those. So, So when someone comes along with the idea that you can have something for nothing, well, that doesn't sit too well with us. You know the old saying, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Over the last couple of weeks on the program, we've been taking a look at the joy of the Lord. Joy, after all, is something we all want to have in our lives, in our hearts. Man, if you can have joy overflowing out of your heart in any and every circumstance, wouldn't that just be awesome? Although it does sound just a bit too good to be true. Joy and suffering after all don't go together, at least not in our mindset. And this is what we're going to chat about today on the program. God's joy can be his free gift to anyone who's willing to accept it. Not a sense of happiness that waxes and wanes with your circumstances, but a deep abiding sense of joy that never leaves you. When a person accepts Jesus into their lives as their saviour, the one through whose suffering God forgives and as their Lord, the one whom they follow and live for for the rest of their lives, something amazing happens. The promise of God is that the moment that you do that, the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to dwell in you. That's exactly what Jesus said. Let's have a listen. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 27. Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I won't leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. And I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said all these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. It's a pretty amazing promise, and it's true. That's exactly what happens. And as the Holy Spirit starts to help us to grow and to change and to get closer to Jesus, it's like that process bears fruit. And in fact, that's exactly what the Bible talks about, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are nine things in that list, and, and one of them is joy. By the way, it's closely linked to the other eight. But joy is a natural consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not something you have to go out there and get for yourself. It's something that God gives to you through his very presence in you. And as we saw earlier in this series, the original Greek words for joy and for grace actually come from the same root. They're actually almost identical. The idea is that joy is the free gift of God. So that's why God can talk about giving you joy amidst the trials and tribulations of life. In fact, think about it. If God is in the business of giving his children his joy, the time we most need that joy is when things aren't going well, right? That's why you read things like this in the Bible, James chapter 1, verses 2-5. to 5. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. Just think of how bizarre that sounds for a moment. Whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Another translation says nothing but pure joy. See, that flies completely in the face of worldly wisdom, and yet God He wants you to have joy in the midst of your trials. Because there's meaning there. He's doing something there. He's growing you and maturing you and making sure that as time goes by, you will be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Who else does that for you? Without God, you're out there suffering on your own. But with God, he's right there with you, giving you his joy in the knowledge that he is refining your character and giving you the wherewithal to handle the things that this world throws at you. That's how the Apostle Paul can write in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse four. "I am overjoyed in all our affliction. God means to give us his joy when we're under fire, because then all of a sudden, we discover his strength. His joy is his path to his strength, right when and where we need it. You know, I don't think there's any sweeter combination than God's peace and God's joy. When I'm filled with the peace and the joy of the Lord, it doesn't seem to matter what the world throws at me, I'm able to get through it. That doesn't mean that we all don't have some bad days mixed in with the good ones, but God loves you and he wants to make a difference in your life. And one of the ways that he does that is to bless you with his free gift of joy. Because when you're filled with his joy, the joy of your salvation, the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of knowing that he has everything in control and that he loves you and cares for you, well, honestly, that makes you strong. That's why the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. But as I said earlier, the devil doesn't want you to be strong. He wants to rape and pillage your life and steal away all the good things that God's giving you, including your salvation. If he can get you to turn away and walk away from Jesus, then he's won. And he can't do that while you're strong in the Lord. So how does he do it? Well, the devil's read the Bible too. He knows that when you're filled with God's joy, then you're strong. So why not rob you of God's joy? Why not tempt you and test you to see if he can get you to let go of the joy of the Lord and become weak so that he can plunder your life and undermine your salvation? This is important stuff we're talking about today because that is exactly how Satan works. Have you ever wondered why it is after you've had a great time of prayer with the Lord that's lifted you up and filled you with his peace and joy? Why is it that you walk out of that and straight into some sort of conflict or some sort of attack? It's because the devil doesn't want you to be filled with the joy of the Lord. That's why. I want to come back to one of my favourite passages today. It's about the fruit of the Spirit, which includes joy. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But I want to read you the bit before that as well. So have a listen. We're starting in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify to the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and all those sorts of things. I'm warning you, as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, though, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against those things, and those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing with one another and envying one another. So, What's God saying here? Basically this, that sin robs you of the fruit of the Spirit. You go out there and deliberately disobey God by gratifying the desires of your flesh, and there's a long list of those there, right? You live your life for yourself and not for God. And do you really expect to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I mean, really? Do you really think that God's love and his joy and his peace are going to be happening in your heart? That's why the devil tempts you. He he wants to slip under your guard and get you involved in just a tiny little sin to start with. You know, the sort that God probably won't notice, or or if he does, it's only a little one, and and so he won't worry too much about it. (laughs) You've got to be kidding, right? As though there is any such thing as a small sin to a perfect and holy God. Let's face it, eating that piece of fruit from a tree that God says don't eat from this one Could that have been such a big deal, really? It is, after all, only a piece of fruit, for goodness sakes. And yet, look at the terrible consequences of that one seemingly small, innocuous sin on Adam and on Eve, and on the rest of humanity up to this day. Listen up, there is one thing for certain. If we live our lives in sin, for ourselves rather than in the Spirit, for Jesus – we are not going to experience the joy of the Lord. And the moment, the moment you lose God's joy, you become weak and vulnerable. Now the enemy has a foothold in your life and he's going to exploit it to get what he wants. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, we're told not to make room for the devil nor to give him a foothold. That's why the number one thing that robs you of God's peace and his joy is Sin. Rebellion. Think about a child who rebels against its parents, a child who explicitly does what mum or dad told it not to do. How much peace and joy do you reckon is going to be going on around the dinner table tonight in that family when that child comes to the table unrepentant, continuing in its rebellion? Not a lot, right? I've been there as a kid and let me tell you, I've experienced some frosty receptions at the dinner table and rightly so. That's what rebellion gets you. It's the same with God. You want his joy? Then live your life for him. You want his peace? Then stop fighting with him. And all it takes to restore your fellowship with God and get his joy happening back in your heart is for you to go to him, to admit your mistakes, and to ask for his forgiveness. Now, theologians will call that repentance. I I call it just plain common sense. It's not complicated. It doesn't have to have a big word attached to it. Sin will rob you of God's joy each and every time. Did you get that? Every time. And it's a downward spiral. It's exactly what the enemy's plan for you is, to alienate you from God, to get you while you're weak, and to maul you and to destroy you. But remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not rocket science. One of the things I know is that there are some people listening today who feel like they're a million miles away from God because the devil has done just what I've been describing. And on top of everything, he may have filled your heart with a lie that things are so bad between you and God that he just doesn't want you back anymore. It's over between you and God. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus died for every sin of yours, past, present and future, And by his blood, by his sacrifice, as long as you put your trust in him, you are forgiven. So the best way I can think of using the next minute or so that we have left together is to pray with you, to bring you back into that delightful fellowship with Jesus. Lord God, you know my sin. I am so ashamed. I'm so pained by the things that I've done. And yeah, the devil's been plundering my life to the point where where it feels like it's over between you and me. But, but I've just been reminded of your mercy, of your grace, of your love through what Jesus did for me on that cross. And I'm coming to you in his name because I believe that Jesus did that for me. And I ask for your forgiveness in Jesus' name. I don't have any right to expect that, but I know that you purchased that right for me at Calvary. Lord, please forgive me. Please fill me with your spirit. And please bring back your joy and your peace to me. I'm asking you today, in Jesus' name, Amen. Let me tell you, if you pray that prayer with me today, then God has heard you. God has pardoned you, and right now, at this very moment, he's wrapping his loving arms around you. Is that good news or what? As I travel around the country, and indeed around the globe, I meet so many people who say that they believe in Jesus, and yet it doesn't take me long to notice that they're experiencing a chronic lack of joy. And can I tell you, I found myself in that place too from time to time. Now, before the break, we saw that sin of any kind is going to disrupt our deep joy and rob us of that joy and make us weak and susceptible to further attacks from the enemy, attacks that will most certainly come. So let's be clear here. God's plan is for you to be filled with joy. That's what the Bible tells us over and over again. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that works so strongly against that joy and that peace of that hope in our lives is a chronic sin, a sin that becomes worse the more affluent our society becomes. It's the sin of selfishness. And not just self centeredness, but being self absorbed. And while back on the program, we spent some time looking at the way in which narcissism has gone from being a rarity to a plague. And the reason is that the more affluent we become, the more the advertising industry tells us that it's all about you. You deserve it. You're worth it. Spend your money on yourself. We're bombarded with this stuff day after day. And eventually, it becomes part of our psyche. It sounds good, doesn't it? Add to that the smartphone phenomenon that, that puts the world in the palm of your hand, that makes you a publisher of selfies in social media, and you can see why so many people have become so self-absorbed. We live in the age of the selfie. They're even making selfie sticks now so that you can put your mobile phone on the end of them and take pictures of yourself. There's a whole movement. In fact, it's, it's the zeitgeist of our times. It's the selfie Me at the center of the universe. That's exactly what the Bible says was going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 2-5 to five. Look, people will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderous, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to an outward form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid them like that? People will become lovers of themselves and that leads to all that arrogance and boasting and all that long list of other things. We've been taught by the society in which we live to put ourselves at the centre of the universe and the younger you are, the more you've been influenced by that. I at least grew up under parents who'd experienced the horrors and deprivation of World War Two in Europe and so built into their psyche was a sense of duty and sacrifice and serving. Some of that rubbed off on me. But we baby boomers have passed something entirely different onto our children, and they onto their children. As conspicuous consumption and rampant consumerism have become more the norm, we've taught them that they're so precious, which of course they are, but to the point where they truly do think and believe, whole generations of them, that they are at the centre of the universe. The problem with being self-absorbed, though, is that the rest of the world doesn't see you as the centre of the universe because they all think that that's a position that belongs to them. So being self-absorbed ends up making you incredibly insecure, I know, because I used to be so incredibly worried about how I looked and how I sounded and, and how I succeeded and this and that and all that other stuff, what people thought of me. And that is a treadmill of self and insecurity that completely robs you of the joy of the Lord. Why? Because it's the complete 180 degree opposite of God's way, God's plan for your life. Of course, there's nothing new in any of this. It's just that these days it's happening in plague proportions. It's a chronic disease that's robbing so many of Jesus' followers of the joy that he has ready and waiting for them. Let's go back. And take a look at Jesus' advice and his teaching to two of his disciples who were suffering from this very problem. We're going to Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 35. Now James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it that you want me to do? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, Of course we're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. When the other ten heard this, they began to get angry with James and John. So Jesus called them all together and said to them, You know that amongst the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And their great ones are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you must become the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there it is. If selfishness, self-absorption, self-centeredness, the great paradigm of our times, is robbing you of the joy of the Lord, then there's only one way to get it back. It's this, to follow Jesus' example, the Son of God, the Creator of the whole universe who came to serve you and to die for you. Get a revelation today. You are not the centre of the universe any more than I'm the centre of the universe. And the moment we get that into our heads, everything changes.